0: Hi, Robin. Hi, Agnes.
1: We have come again to talk about whatever topics we end up talking about. Because we can't <laughs> predict that very well. But we've decided on an introductory question that I'm going to ask you, which is, what's so good about plagiarism? I hear you're a big fan.
0: Um, I know, I'm not. Um, um, what I am is... Somebody who is skeptical that the norms against plagiarism grip anything real in the moral bedrock. By contrast with some of our other norms, which I think are tracking like genuine value.
1: Well, I'm sure you're aware of the usual reasons academics would give against plagiarism, so... Do you want to summarize them, to criticize them, or should I?
0: Well maybe one thing I'll say is it is striking to note the place of these norms within academia. Like if you if you want to debate stuff with academics, right? You could debate almost any topic. You could you could ask, you know, is it okay to kill babies or, you know, maybe torture is sometimes okay. That'll be like a topic where you can Get people to take both sides. And interestingly, I found the one thing all academics will agree on is how terrible plagiarism is. It's our it's okay. our kind of it's our kind of like um, moral code. So I agree with you, it plays an especially uh Okay, but important that's not role. what the
1: argument for it is.
0: No, that's not the argument for it. I'm just I'm just I'm right. just agreeing yes, that they is. that they cherish it. So now you give me the argument.
1: Uh, so for example, I've considered being a columnist or a pundit. I look at what pundits write, and I notice that they don't try to situate what they say in the context of other things other people said, and so they often repeat things that columnists today might say, the same thing as a columnist did 70 years ago in some other city, and they're fine with that, and they don't even care to notice, right? Mm -hmm. It's just about having something compelling to their audience, Mm -hmm. and that academia has this norm of doing things to accumulate. We're not just trying to say things that our audience might like. We're trying to build this edifice all these things we've learned, and in order to do that, what we need is for each person to say a new thing and try to convince us it is a new thing, and therefore to put it in context of old things that are nearby, and to explain how their thing is new. And if we follow, if people consistently do that, then we can try to believe more that we are making new things, and therefore we're accumulating and building something that lasts and becomes bigger, rather than just cycling around the space of the same topics and the same things that anybody's ever said.
0: Yeah, so I agree with you that there are norms as to how you should conduct research in academia. And um, I agree with you that quite often citations are useful for the reader. But I think the norms against plagiarism extend far beyond that. And so one thing you could do is you could compare somebody who writes a paper, but he just doesn't do a good job reading the literature. I often find this in my own field. Someone will not have read like half of the important papers or something. And people will be annoyed by that, but they will not react similarly to someone who just copies an idea. That occasions outrage as opposed to merely a kind of shoddy job with respect to these research norms. So I think that um, plagiarism, the norms about plagiarism, are not in the first instance designed to further intellectual inquiry. They are more about an honor, right? So people want credit um, and, uh, academics in particular don't, unlike pundits, don't make a lot of money from their ideas, right? So they have to make something else from their ideas. And I mean, they have a salary, right? But for many academics, that doesn't feel sufficient to them. They feel, academics feel underpaid. And so they want to be paid in the currency of honor. And, um, you know, being cited is, um, Part of how they get paid in that currency, and it's also part of how they get promoted. There's a whole system around that. So I tend to think that plagiarism norms function more directly as part of that honor system well, than we just call it a credit system. Yes, it's credit, right. right. But the, right. the reason you want the credit is either honor or you want to parlay the honor okay. into a higher salary but,
1: or something. But in a great many institutions in society, credit is important. That is, we want to allocate resources according to some sort of outcomes and a key issue is credit for them. So like in a business, if there was a new product and it's successful, then we want to know, well, who was responsible for introducing this new product and whoever can successfully, correctly type credit should correctly be given credit in that Why? Business, right?
0: Why is that important that they be given the credit because they
1: came up with ideas? Because it was work. So, but you know, so we can think about accounting systems in general, like in most companies you have cost accounting, primarily. You primarily see the cost of buildings, and the cost of materials, and people's times, and things like that, and you try to make sure you know where all the costs were and when, and you know, not just so you can help minimize costs by rearranging it, but also to look out for cheating, for people stealing, right? Accounting is to prevent theft, in part. But in most businesses, they actually do a relatively poor job of giving accounting for work to develop ideas, mm-hmm. and like a new product. And so uh, you might Hope that there was a better accounting system for the work that goes to create a good idea, because then you, because you might fear that somebody who can get away with it, and often managers can, simply take credit for the good ideas that happen and disavow credit for the bad ideas, and then you know arbitrarily look good according to this accounting system, but not actually be good. Right? The more that the accounting system fails to credit or account the things that are actually there, the less it's useful as a guided decision.
0: I mean, so if I were an economist, I might say, well, what seems to me to matter would be like, do you have sufficient incentives for people to produce these ideas? And maybe you need to give them this credit, right, in order to incentivize the production yes, of the ideas. Indeed. Um indeed. Um, one thing is like, if what you're getting is a lot of idea production, but other people taking credit for it, apparently you don't need those incentives, right? Apparently people are still producing
1: ideas. could still have too little production.
0: Right. So you could get more production, right. you can give more credit. So I am not, um, I think that's right. So it, it may well be that at least in certain contexts, having plagiarizing norms is and pl- anti-plagiarism norms is sort of an efficient way of organizing a certain kind of activity. So I think, in particular, for instance, papers. Right? Students have to write papers, and then they get graded on those right. papers. Right? And if they plagiarize and wrote someone else's paper, that would be cheating. Right? right. And then that kind of screws up your whole system. You can't evaluate. Right? Right. 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 And so, um, and I, and I think, um, so I think that you could say that it's sort of problematic that way. That would be analogous to how suppose you had. Uh, um, a, a take-home exam, and they were only supposed to take um, one day for it, but someone found a way to take two days for right. it, right? Got it. Right. So that's like, that's cheating in the sense yeah. that you sort of set up, you, you create a set of rules, and the set of rules are designed so that they give people the proper incentives, right, to get your mm-hmm. result. and then some people are sort of cheating. Right. And so if you want to say, insofar as plagiarism is cheating, um, you know, just as the taking an extra day on that. Right. That would be cheating, right? Then, sure, it might be wrong in that way if you happen to arbitrarily set up your system with this rule, and people well, break the rule, I mean, of the problem. But it, it, that's why I said it's not—it's not. the it's not, not arbitrary. In the I mean, the, the,
1: the twenty-four-hour exam isn't arbitrary. I mean, there's a reason why you set twenty-four hours for the exam, uh, and that means it's not an arbitrary rule.
0: It's totally arbitrary. I give people different kinds of exams, and some of them let them take as much time as they want, and some of them I arbitrarily decided that we're going to take one day for the exam.
1: So here, I mean, we're this is less about exams and more about sort of social credit, that is, I'm at least more interested in the plagiarism norms as applied to a larger intellectual community rather than students taking their exams. So the obvious rule would be whatever the rule your teacher has for your exam, if you break that rule, then you're breaking exactly. the classes' rule. So that's I, not a general plagiarism rule, that's exactly. just a rule about a class. Exactly. Right, But we do, in more sense, have a larger social norm, at least in larger areas of intellectual work, that, um, you know, if you have a an idea you're presenting as new, but it's not new, and not only is it not new, you know it's not new because you know where you got it from, and you're not crediting where you got it from, then that seemed to be an illicit uh, claiming of credit. So it, it, Because we often do give credit. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of essays or something talk about ideas and they credit people for those ideas. And people are very interested in making sure those credits are correct.
0: Right. I, I think of that interest as being illicit. That is, um, so, I mean, one thing is, um, you can't, the, the word, uh, come plagiarism, it's come from uh, the Latin uh, plagia, which is net, and it means kidnapping. Okay. Uh, it's like you kidnap someone else's idea, right? right? It's like, well, this is my idea. Um, and I think the paradigm of an example of something that cannot be yours is an idea. Like, it's a historical fact that maybe you were the first one to think it maybe i don't know that anyone has ever had really good reason to believe that because of course someone else could have thought and just not told anyone right right but okay so really what it is is like you're the first one to claim credit for it right and in a way there's something weirdly circular about that It's like i get credit because i was the first one to claim credit for it, or to publish it whatever right and to me that's like a fiction Right? This, and, and so that's why I brought up the example of the, I mean, the, so the, the classroom. You know,
1: there's patent and copyright law, yes. well, and they also follow this plagiarism law.
0: Well, they, they have, I mean, so I think, you know, with respect to, we do have legal sanctions for um, more specific categories, and those categories are about um, things like um, other people being able to make money off of your idea, right? Um, so if I wanted so to... Which means
1: we have to label it your idea first, right?
0: Right, absolutely. But so I think that... Um,
1: so your idea is a thing. It's not just a thing in intellectuals. It's a thing in the law of copyright.
0: Well, what we can say is just um, we have a law that if other people try to make money off of this idea, then you get to get money from them or whatever, right? That's right. what the law is. right? And I mean, we can make laws to um, um, to kind of Punish behavior, any kind of behavior we want, right? Um, and we, so we can decide we'll all be better off if we punish such and such a behavior, right? right? Probably if you drive on the left side of the road in the United States, you're going to be right. punished by law, right? We have a law you have to drive on the right side of the road, right? right. And so if you punish if you drive on the left side of the road, you'll be punished. But is there something intrinsically wrong with driving on the left? No, it's fine to drive. It's no, just if it's not
1: pa- fine to drive on the left side when everybody else is driving on the right side.
0: Right. So so and so you might say like that that's sort of um um you know that that's that's why I brought up the thing about the about the students, right? Yeah. So there's a game that we play, right? We're all playing a certain credit game. Yes. And it's quite possible that that game creates good incentives. Right. So, it, may, right. it might create incentives for people to come up to, to um, let's say, share their ideas. Because um, uh, if I'm right, maybe I don't want to say come up with ideas, right? Yeah, okay. um, um, so, let's say share their ideas. It might, it might create those incentives, right? And so, it's a game that we're playing, so other people are playing, you should play along. I'm fine with that, that right? But if we contrast it to our previous topic, honesty, yeah. right? So I think honesty is important. It's actually objectively valuable. And we have honesty norms because they're tracking a the moral reality. Plagiarism norms is more like you get one day for the paper or you drive on the right side of the road or whatever. We set up some convention and then you're okay. not playing fair if you don't follow the rules.
1: So what this conversation is really about is the context dependence or social context of norms. Uh, that is, we agree that some norms are tied to very specific social contexts. And they make sense in those contexts, and it's less clear that you would want to follow them outside those contexts. And other norms we have are very broadly shared, uh, like don't murder or lie. Uh, and of course, even these very broadly shared norms have various exceptions and conditions and you know, metrics regarding them, and those often vary somewhat by context. So, for example, it's okay to kill people in war, but not okay to murder them otherwise, but like what's a war? You know, is, it, is a political civil war a war? Is it a civil war if it's declared? Is, is it just being protest? Is that allowed to be civil war? I mean, right, there'd be all these uh, you know, more context-dependent conditions, even about murder. But you know, the fundamental story is, uh, well, in anyone's society, you have some set of norms, and you know. There's first the question, should people follow the existing norms in the society they're in? You, you can certainly make a case for specific norms in specific societies and say, no, you shouldn't follow that norm. That's just bad. And, you know, that'll make the norm go away. If it does, fine, because that's a bad norm. In other societies, we might say, well, there is a norm, and if everybody keeps following this norm, then you should too, because, you know, it's better than not having a norm. But there's a better way, place we could get to some alternative set of norms, and that would it, we should try to coordinate to move there. And so, you know, social innovation and institutions is all about, you know, thinking about these alternatives. And I might say, well, look, we have an existing set of plagiarism norms. If you've got a new set of norms that you want to propose that we consider, uh, I'm, I'm open to that. It'll still be some work to try to get us to switch over. And it might not be a good idea to just individually, people to like copy stuff and not tell people as the way that we approve of the switching of the norm, that might seem a little unfair, right? But still, I mean, you know, is, the, is your complaint just that this isn't a universal norm proven to be valuable in all possible contexts or that you have another particular set of norms we should think of switching to?
0: So, um, I don't have another set that we should switch to um, and maybe my case would be more persuasive if I did, but I do have um, a kind of um, reason for thinking that these norms are like near-arbitrary conventions rather than tracking reality. And by the way, I feel the same way, for instance, about privacy norms. Um, so what, and what I think about both of these cases, I think you should follow them. Like I think I should follow these norms um, um, because I think in general we have sort of implicit agreements with all the people around us to behave in ways that roughly speaking um, abide by the norms that we're all under even if we don't agree with them until we can change people's minds about them. So, but the steps of changing people's minds, that's like a lot of steps, probably more than well, my There's One way to
1: change people's minds about a norm is simply just stop following it and stop enforcing it.
0: Right, but if you individually stop following it, in many cases what you're doing is violating the norm and so you're violating an agreement that you have with people and I think you shouldn't do that. You should Although persuade if, them to. Adopt sometimes, them. like
1: you have laws that are on the books for a long time, and then people stop enforcing them. And you might say, "Well, this isn't an agreement I've had. This law has just been on the books for a long time." And then, you know, for example, you know, it's been a long time since anybody enforced laws against adultery. Right? You might say that's a, a, still a norm you don't want to but it's not a law anymore. Or, or there's a lot of other sort of laws. In lots of places could put these things sort of arbitrary laws right yeah and so I mean, you, might, you, should, you might say don't feel too bad about breaking a law that's been on the books for a while but nobody has been enforcing it for a while
0: yeah I'm not um, I'm not I'm not talking about laws um, so I, I'm, I, I'm talking more generally about norms and I guess I, you know I do think everyone has to have some sense of sort of what is their social contract with the people around them right um, but what my thought is your social contract isn't limited to the set of norms you personally endorse. Right? Sure. It's gonna, there's going to be a larger set. Right. How to define the space of that larger set? Because then there's going to be right. stuff that's still further right. out where you think people are dumb, but they're all following this right. norm. But
1: the, the easiest change to make from the status quo is to simply take an existing norm and delete it, and not replace it with anything. And a simple path to that is that you and other people just start ignoring that norm and not enforcing it and not sanctioning anybody who does enforce it. And that's a thing that's happened a lot in Right. The past.
0: Right. And, But I'm not. Um,
1: so the question is Do you think if we just deleted the plagiarism norm but didn't replace it with something else, would, would that world be better?
0: Um, there's one respect in which it would be better. I don't know whether it would be better overall. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit like the SAT or something, right? Like you right. might think there are bad things about the SAT, and you might be, have opposition to it, right? Um, but then there are also costs to getting rid of the SAT because exactly. you're relying on these other things, right, right, that might be even worse trackers of exactly. whatever. So so um, if, if your question for me is, like, do you think this is a, um, uh, you know, that the system minus this norm would work better than the system with this norm, I don't know the answer, but maybe not. Um, but I think that, like, it, you know, it's sort of like you can get into a situation where, you are um, relying you, you you have like a system with these sort of junky parts or something right but the junky parts are needed for the whole right. and then you would have to rethink the whole in a pretty radical way in order to improve right. the, the situation okay. And I'm not doing any of that right? Okay. I know you kind of want me to do it but what I want to do is just explore why I think one of the parts is junky and um, because I think that people, that's why I brought up the example of how you can talk about how maybe terror uh, torture is okay, but you can't talk about how plagiarism may be okay, is that we have sort of sanctified or made sacred a norm that isn't a real intellectual norm, in my view. It isn't like um honesty or truthfulness or inquisitiveness or rationality or any of those things. It's just like driving on the right side of the road. And if, if suddenly we had no norm which right side of the road we drive them, that would okay. not be an improved world. But it's specifically the reason why I want to say that's the case is that intellectual things are a very, very special category of things. Namely, there are things where you can share them with other people and you don't have any less because you share them. In fact, in a way, sometimes you have more when you share them. And that's like True of very few things out there, even sunsets. You know, it can be that there's a crowd Mm -hmm. at the park.
1: Okay, but you could say that's also true of credit. The the claim claim of credit is is a claim about who who did something first, and you can state that claim, and it's a factual statement, and I can share that claim with you and still share it with somebody else.
0: Um, So I think what the credit system does is it takes something whose distinctive character and... Um, kind of sacred value is precisely that of being the very opposite of zero sum and turns it into a zero sum game.
1: I mean, you could say the same about music. I mean, the thing about music is I play you a song and now you can play the song to somebody else. Yes. But nevertheless, we have copyright in music uh, exactly as a way to allow people to own pieces of music. You could say the same about a story. I tell you a story, you can tell the story somewhere else. But we have copyright in stories. Um, so.
0: Right. So I think we have um, things like copyright um that as i understand it um it is um kind of instrumental it functions instrumentally in the incentive system that you want people to be creating music and be able to make money from it right and you want people to be um able to make money from their stories um and um uh, but it and 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 it may be that we it it maybe we could do all of that Without those incentives, right? Like with with other incentives. I mean, okay. I get you'll need some incentives, rather, um, mainly. Right. <laughs> um, and, um, um, but, um, so I, I, as I don't want to deny that um, the, you know, these these things have this role in in academia, especially in the, you know, just crediting of ideas. Um, especially in cases where what's primarily sought there is honor like there is a point at which it seems to mostly be about just wanting to mint a new currency or something. The currency It's not also. new anymore, it's pretty old by now. Right, um, uh, you can I imagine mean... Imagine
1: some counterfactual world long ago where it didn't exist, but... I mean, we've minted many new things over the last few centuries that are no longer. No, new
0: I, 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 just mean relative to the world in which it doesn't exist. Right, like in the case of copyright, yeah. um, what you're doing is playing into the financial system, right? I, I, I grant that something similar also happens with academia because your number of publications or whatever can yes. get you. Right, exactly. Um, um, but there is, I think, at least a sort of um, conceit in academia, right, that are Goals and that your fundamental understanding of your project is that you're trying to pursue the truth and that you want to know things and understand things and like but you will take. credit doesn't
1: p- conflict with that. Um, They're not false claims. These claims of credit,
0: right? No, it it, it doesn't conflict with that, um, but it isn't part of it in any way except in the part that you have to stay alive and you want honor right? And so the point is just that it's not an intellectual norm. It's a sort of norm for how we take the intellectual and situate it in, in some so way. In
1: the- I think you're making a move here that feels similar to a move you made in our last podcast. Okay. And it's a relatively general point and it's a point of distinction perhaps between economists and philosophers, which is why it might be worth pursuing here. So, you know, we economists will just tend to sort of flatten a whole range of considerations into all like available things that we could manipulate in order to get whatever ends you have mm-hmm. and not think of any of them as more fundamental than the others
0: mm-hmm. so we
1: might say uh you know the intellectual world we have a thing we want out of that we want some sort of intellectual progress in the long run we'd like it to be true we'd like it to be tracking you know useful things uh, we like it to be shareable we would like it to be relatively easy to understand we'd like It could be modular so we can connect things together there's a whole bunch of things we would like out of the intellectual project, we all think we'd like other people to participate, right? Maybe we'd like a particip- participatory intellectual world, all else equal, right? So we have a whole bunch of things we want, and then we have a whole bunch of levers we can turn to, to manipulate the world to get this thing, these things we want, and we economists kind of just put them all in those same two buckets, and don't say, you know, of all the things we could do, uh, some, are, some might be more effective, some might be harder to monitor, some might be more context-dependent, some might you know, you know, know, be things that would change with scale, but we're just opportunistically gonna say, let's just think about all the things we do and try to do them as best we can to get the outcomes we want. And so I hear you saying, well, sure, this plagiarism rule helps us get the outcomes we want, but it's not fundamentally connected to the thing. And we go, well, what's this difference between fundamental versus not fundamental? There's just all these things we want and there's all these things we do to get them, and why isn't that just all there is?
0: We don't agree on what the goals are. That is, I don't think, for instance, in our last conversation, right. We you don't said, have
1: to agree on what the goals are in order for this framework to make
0: sense. Right, but um, what I'm saying is that those disagreements are not incidental. So I don't think that the goal of uh, a university is intellectual progress. I don't think progress is a coherent goal. A goal has to be an end point, and progress isn't an end point. So it's a conceptually incoherent thing to have as your goal. Oh, I on. think That's the true. goal of a university is no. Right? And that goal is instantiated. It's not just a matter of the additions to knowledge that you're giving. It's the knowing of the people in the university. It's happening. It's not something that is always going to happen in the future. It's something happening in the present. Um, and so the people who are knowing things, people who are the students who are coming to know things, um, the teachers who are activating their knowledge, all of that is um, achieving and realizing the goal of the university.
1: So, But I see you as... Picking this thing as the goal, and the way I was trying to describe it is there are many goals that we share and don't all agree on. And this common enterprise we share is trying to, in many ways, accomplish all of them to varying degrees. And, in some sense, we want to accomplish all of them to varying degrees to the extent we can. And there isn't the goal, there's just the many goals
0: but I, I think it's not an accident that you gave intellectual progress as the goal of it, or as a goal even even if we just changed it to a right. goal it was the only goal you cited right so it may be that some goals a lot of the work is comes in coming to see them as a goal that is there's sort of um, let's say some goals are more expensive and some are cheaper sure. right and there's a kind of psychological and personal investment that you need in order to get certain goals in view and, um, and I think in particular, a lot of the goals of the university are hard to have in view, and we lose hold of them all the time. And we get redirected onto other goals that are not as good, like how many publications do I have and how much honor do I have, et cetera. And so what these plagiarism, these plagiarism might be necessary and they might sort of function, um, but what they are doing is distracting us from our fundamental project and from understanding that fundamental project as a non-zero-sum project?
1: So it's definitely true in many areas of human behavior that you have some fundamental goals and then you create sub-goals and you only really want to achieve the sub-goals because you think they promote the more fundamental goals so you'll, you definitely need to distinguish that and yes sometimes we get distracted by sub-goals and not paying enough attention to fundamental goals and sometimes we don't even know exactly which is which because we just enter world to practice and we are presented various sub-goals as trained how to achieve the sub-goals and not even understand how these sub-goals might be related to the larger goals that we could more directly endorse. So it's definitely true that um, you know, many areas of the world, people sort of, they, they lose track of what's matters, And they, you know, have some local metric and, you know, it's not the fundamental thing. And that, that's the sort of standard problem with incentives economists will say, you know, you give a bunch of people the incentive to achieve these sub-goals, and they do, and that doesn't mean the fundamental goals are achieved, right? Fine, but still, um, you know, there are these fundamental goals, and there are many of them When we don't agree with them, but I certainly think, you know, I'm happy to endorse the goal you mentioned as a goal, but I'm just not willing to consider it exclusive as the only goal among the many goals that, you know, these institutions see themselves as trying to achieve, or Right, sh-
0: in a way, I think we'd be fine. I mean, I think, here's one way to put our disagreement. Um, say one of the things that universities currently seek to do is to um, allocate credit for ideas. Yes. That's one of their goals. And that, it might be a sub-goal. Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, that's my point. Is So I, I see that goal as very strictly a sub-goal, namely if there were some more efficient way yes. of achieving the fundamental goals, we could get rid of that. And it could be that nobody gets credit and nothing is wrong with that world. That's a good world.
1: Okay, so, I mean, we get personal. I have these grand visions for reforming intellectual worlds and they are mainly for the purpose of intellectual progress. And, and if we have time, we could go into my defending that that's a coherent thing and a valuable thing. But I think many of our readers will get that enough that I don't have to believe it right now. But um, there I have to admit upon examining universities and academia, it achieves other goals that I'm less thrilled with. And I think actually the dominant goal The dominant function of academia in society is to let people affiliate with impressive people, credentialed impressive people. So students want to go to a university, and people say, ooh, that's a good university, you must be a good student. And for that, they want professors to be credentialed as impressive people, and they don't actually care what intellectual progress they've made. Or even how, what they know, what they care is that they've been credentialed as impressive and similarly, a reporter wants to call up a professor to interview them. Why? Because they put that name in university as the line next to the quote. It'll be more impressive to the readers who like to read articles with impressive quotes. And funders like to give money to impressive projects and people and you know and affiliation institutions. And when people say, what did you do with the money? They say, well, we gave it to Harvard and we gave it to these people. And Look at all these news articles about them and people say, well, yes. And Honestly, it is a thing people want, and it, the universe, and these our institutions are actually achieving it pretty well in terms of letting people affiliate with credential impressiveness and become impressive by association, and it works. It's, it's not you know, producing necessarily, and this can be done even if nobody really knows that much and if they never accumulate more knowledge, uh, and even if they lie, I mean, they can still be impressive at lying, And so this, this can all work. So I feel like, okay, I have to compromise and say, yeah, okay. That's a purpose. People want, and yes, we, our institution should achieve that. But I also want intellectual progress. So I'm open to, I'm trying to find better institutions, which could both give them this thing they want that I don't want so much and also produce the stuff I want. And so if I'm going to be a practical reformer, I have to come up with solutions that try to give many of the people, the things they're getting out of these institutions, you know, I want to reform college. I probably have to give 20-year-olds a place where they can go meet other 20-year-olds and party. Because that's a lot of 20-year-olds like that, right? If you're going to reform college, you're not going to give 20-year-olds that. A lot of them aren't going to pick it.
0: So I think it's a really interesting meta question. Which way are you going to be more persuasive? One, where you're sort of willing to compromise and you say, look, you have these goals that are totally stupid and I see as completely valueless, but I get that you're super into them. It's some kind of impressiveness fetish that you have. And I'm going to give you some of your trash things so that I can get my good thing. And then we'll both have gotten something. So that's that's like one kind of speech act, right? And I don't know if you've ever tried this kind of speech (laughs) act with like one of your children or close friend or wife. But I find that this is not actually very persuasive to people. And that actually, as a matter of fact, if I go to people and I say, let me just tell you why a lot of the plagiarism norms and a lot of the ideas you have about credit that you might even hold sacred, And treat is really important that they're actually not as good as you think they are but you tell me you prove it to me show me that they're good right it's not actually obvious to me that that second route is less persuasive
1: so i haven't heard that from you yet i mean i've heard like we can't prove that it's needed in all contexts but i haven't heard you tell me the negative consequences of the plagiarism right
0: yeah so what goes what what do you see going wrong? it's that you're turning something whose fundamental and distinctive value is in being non-zero sum into a zero sum game and thereby cheapening it and making it more like all the other things that are worse than it
1: but you could make that argument about music
0: yes and i think like if we can find another way to do it with the music that would be good too i think a lot of people aren't that comfortable with art and music being sold in certain ways and being there being such
1: restrictions on So so to economists, this sounds an awful lot like a common complaint, which is you economists are polluting our pure, high-minded stuff with your damn selfish incentives.
0: Yes. So, I I mean, (laughs)
1: You uh, like, I and if, if, if your economists understand that, sure, there's lots of selfish people in the world and they need incentives, but we pure people over here, if you would just leave us alone, we would do our pure idealistic thing and we don't need incentives over here, The incentives just get in the way because we're good people.
0: I never said the other people need them <laughs> either, right? Um, um, but I do think that it matters what, um, look, even economists are going to whatever, not tend to pay their children to... Do stuff. And so, like, it's all, there's all the question of where do you, where do you bring in the incentives, and I'm giving you a reason why, in this particular domain, um...
1: All I the pollution reason, that somehow, incentives are polluting the purity of the zero-sumness, of the non-zero-sumness.
0: Um, so, well, the other part of the argument is that the, if you, if you take the non-zero-sum point of view, and try to get into view, what is a value there, right? Yeah about the kind of sharing of knowledge and having a community in which knowledge is shared. um, That value is, it's like hard to track with your mind. It's hard to get a grip on, unlike the idea of progress or adding stuff, which is much easier to track, right? So even within the university, there's a bunch of goals Right. Often we can get into view improvement as a goal. That's an easier thing than to get into view just instantiating a value. That second thing is harder. Um, just like you know, coming up with a new piece of music or whatever, it's easy to see that as valuable versus enjoying an existing piece of music. That's harder. So my point is that there's it's it's expensive to value this thing, right? Um, and so I think often when people are talking about purity and worries about um, unpurifying, selling something the way you should, trans- what you should translate that into is, here's a goal that we have trouble seeing as valuable. And we only get it into view like maybe like three minutes of every day. And one thing we're constantly trying to do is get it more and better into view. And we're willing to like pay a lot to get that goal into view. We're willing to make other sacrifices. And when I say you're, you're, you're sullying it, what I mean is you're making it difficult for me to get that goal into view.
1: So professors have offices and they have jobs and to a first approximation, those are zero-sum. Like You have your office, nobody else can have your office. You have your job, somebody else doesn't have your job. So by letting professors have offices and jobs, we are solidated with this high-minded pursuit, this zero-sum element of allocating offices and jobs. Surely, therefore, professors shouldn't have jobs or offices.
0: So, I mean, I think, like, um, if you want to say, um, um, There might be circumstances <laughs> under which I'd be I'd be amenable to that argument, but I'm I, not you know,
1: usually. I'm
0: not usually, and so I think that it you know it matters that what we're doing here is um, um, we're saying like not only do the professors need um, some way of sort of like living their lives um, uh, while they perceive this value, um, um, they but, really need offices
1: for that. I mean, they would still be alive if they didn't have offices.
0: Well, no, but I mean, they need to, you know, the activity of thought is a physical activity, right? Do it so, needs How to do they need
1: to go have into a post.
0: You might be, many professors do, but if you have several kids at home like I do, this can be a challenge. Um,
1: so, but that's a context-dependent, contingent consideration, right? right. Just like plagiarism is.
0: Right. Um, so, I guess my thought is that um, it's like suppose we. I mean, it seems to me the more relevant. Let's say. Um, challenge um, case would be we have awards for professors, right? Where like yeah. you're the you whatever publications.
1: Why should what, why should these things be published? Why don't they just all go sit on an archive server? and Why should we distinguish some papers as published? There's a limited number of slots in the top journals. So why should we make that zero sum element in academia where only some papers get to be in the top? journals? Yeah, I don't think that's
0: great either. I mean, you know, if there's a system where um, we can uh, and I think in some fields, it's moving towards a system of just kind of, you know... Uh,
1: no, actually. I mean, there, there are fields where most people get their access to the papers through the servers, but they all still have the award element of the term. Right. Right, right. And, and so... Prestige is so, allocated through the terms. Right.
0: And so, like, you know, the I guess the way that I would see all of this is it's a kind of concession, right?
1: Yes. Um... Uh, yes, but, and, and that's what economists do. We say, like you have your ideal <laughs> s- s- image of things, but you forgot people being selfish and mean sometimes. right. And so we need institutions that are a concession to people's in, selfishness.
0: in in a way, i'm I'm fine with that. It's just that what I want to do is to distinguish that, there, that um, sometimes we we, we we go all the way to creating norms, right, yeah. to do that kind of work. But there are other norms we have that are real norms where they're not concessions. They're actually ways of tracking the value um, itself, and and I think of honesty as being such a norm. Okay, so
1: so I see you then as thinking that even though we humans are not the angels we like to think ourselves are, and sometimes we're selfish and sometimes we're biased and, and mean, there are these counterfactual creatures that we like to imagine, and for those creatures they would need norms, and norms would be useful for those creatures. And those creatures would have high-minded tasks, and they would have names for things and, and rules that would help them achieve their tasks. And we, actual humans, should try to talk in those terms.
0: Yeah, so maybe, maybe the, one way to put it is, like, you have this idea, we're not the angels we like to think of ourselves as, as though thinking of oneself as an angel were such an easy thing to do and so readily available to people. And I think no, the challenge is to think of yourself as an angel. That's like the goal, right? But like a lot of the time, our thinking is just occupied oh, right. with lowly things, um, and and we're trying to move into that more angelic mode to become better, right? And um, and so like, but of course, at the same time as we try to move into the more angelic mode and actually right. try to think of ourselves, try to think our way to becoming more like right. the angels, I'm not thinking like right. them we also have to make concessions along the way because we have to survive long enough to get to that other state, right. right? And so yes, I think it would be fair to say there are the norms that the angels would still hold on to even once they're angels, and then there are the ones where they're like ladders that we hope to throw away one day. And all I'm saying is that these um, plagiarism ones are more like ladders that we hope to throw away. And so I think there are con- real consequences here about your emotional response right, to the violation of the norm. Because I think if the norm is Merely um, a um, a thing to like coordinate our baser natures with this other thing, right? Um, then it's still bad if people violate it. It's bad basically because they're cheating, right? Yeah. Um, and um, you should be annoyed at them in the way that you are annoyed at cheaters. But I think a lot of people, the way they feel about somebody, you know, um, claiming credit for their idea or something, goes even deeper than. Um, Like they feel like um, you know something profound was stolen from them um, that was rightly theirs, in a kind of moralistic sense. Um, People are very indignant about it, and my thought is like there was never anything that was yours. We just decided to play this game as though the.
1: But, but, But now you're saying people should not feel morally indignant about violations of rules that would not need to exist if people were the angels we might wish they were.
0: I'm saying we should feel as indignant as we would if somebody takes an extra day with their exam. But we should well, understand that, that it is being but that
1: kind of rule. I mean, there's large and small violations, right? So if everybody were angels, nobody would speed because they'd all judge the proper speed to be safe. But we only have speeding rules because people know, are selfish and they speed when they can get away with it. Uh, but some speeding rules are bigger than others. But you can be morally indignant of somebody speeding. That seems perfectly reasonable. Uh, they're, they're speeding on the road, they're getting away with it. They're endangering people. Uh, why can't I be indignant? Sure. I,
0: I think you can. Um, and, and, um, and I think that in general, um, pe- what people do is they get indignant over rule violations because that indignation... Is uh, it's like an internalized form of policing, right? So yes. it's like I'm um, by getting indignant at you, I'm in some sense I at least have the feeling that I'm enforcing yes. wrong. If You're speeding yes. in another car, And the mission is inclined happen.
1: to actually enforce it more should the opportunity arise when when the blood boils, <laughs> right? When situations come to call call them on it or complain about it or maybe pull over and call a cop or something, you might be more likely to do it. Right,
0: but I think that like. Um, uh, and, I mean, maybe maybe the plagiarism case is an interesting case because, um, you know, it's one thing when somebody violates the rules and thus cheats, right? And you might be angry at them because you were playing by the rules, right? Um, and then it's another thing if you feel that you were personally wronged, right? Um, And the plagiarism case is an overlap of those two things. If if you plagiarize me, then I have this idea that's like my idea,
1: right? Well, if you come and steal my car, car, you know, or or if you steal somebody else's car, I can be indignant that you're stealing their car or my car, but it's part of the system of property. And I say property is an arbitrary system we have only because we're not angels. But, hey, we're not angels, we need property, so you stole my car. Right.
0: Right. And, I mean, I guess I think... um, I think that like you know it does make sense that people um, are indignant over rule violations and then are more indignant when the rule violation disadvantages them in First particular. Of course. Actually, I'm not 100% sure that does make sense. Now that I think about it, it's certainly what happens. Yeah. Um If you're really indignant with a
1: rule violation... I mean, if something goes wrong, if the person most harmed doesn't complain, why should the rest of us complain? We we, we might want to at least see that they're not happy. Because sometimes there's rules and they're violated, but the person doesn't mind them being violated, so why should the rest of us? So that's often a rule of thumb about violations. You know, does the person involved want to complain? Say assaults, Right. If I hit you and you mind, then you can complain about assault. But sometimes people get hit and they don't mind. And the rest of us aren't going to enforce assault rules against them. We're going to say, well, this the person who got hit. They do
0: That's interesting. So, I mean, it seems yeah. like what we want is not necessarily people following the rules, but people yeah. following the rules in all the cases where somebody won't, uh, will, will complain sure. if they don't follow the rules. Well,
1: that, like, for example, trespassing. You know what is trespassing? Well, somebody's on your property, and you didn't let them on your property. If you let them on your property, it's not trespassing.
0: Right. Well, well that, that that's a special case because then they haven't broken the rule. But I mean, you but might
1: make the rule exactly that you do something and they mind. But you know.
0: but, but that's but that isn't the, like like like.
1: I mean, we can phrase the rule of assault that way: assault is where you hit somebody and and they mind.
0: Well, I don't think we could phrase it. It would be too self-referential if we phrase it. Assault is if you hit somebody and then they like legally complain because they could mind, for instance, but want not to say anything or something, right? So you can't do it minding. Like, is it only assault if they complained about it being assault? You know, kind of like it's money if you think it's money. I don't think we want the law to be that self-referential. That is, we wanted the crime to be like punching someone unprovoked, or I don't know what what is assault, hitting someone. uh, well, so clearly,
1: rape is an example of, like, consent is an excuse.
0: Right. Um, right. I mean, well, in, in that case,
1: but that's just like trespassing.
0: Right. But that's, I think that's a different case because, um, for instance, you could consent to sex with someone and then later mind or something. So the minding and the consenting are okay. the same right. thing, right? And so in general, I think that, like, with trespassing, like, it could be you didn't give them permission to be on their land right? And they are trespassing. And in fact, the last five times someone did it, you complained. but this time it turns out you don't care. They're wearing a nice dress and you're okay, just okay. enjoying watching them walk across the okay. long. right? And so it's odd that you- Okay, we're get, I think we're getting
1: distracted from the more fundamental point here, which is just about you want to make a distinction between rules we have which are an accommodation to our lesser natures and see those as lesser rules than the rules we have which we would want to adopt, even if we were the most ideal creatures, We, could, more ideal creatures than we could imagine.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that I'm reacting to maybe most fundamentally is, like, the place that plagiarism plays, like, on syllabi and stuff. It is sort of presented as though it were the fundamental academic value and norm, and, like, we're extremely... Um, I mean, fundamental um, is
1: different than, than, than strong, right?
0: Yeah, but, like... Um, I mean,
1: certainly nobody thinks it's the fundamental value.
0: Um, I mean, I think that it... Um, for instance, there's a lot of stuff you can do wrong um, in a class, um, but it's plagiarizing that will like get you kicked out of school. Well,
1: I think that's because it's relatively easy to enforce. That is, it's a nice clear line. Most of the other things are relatively ambiguous.
0: I mean, I don't know what you think of as being hard to enforce. I've had situations, I had a student once who was so disruptive in class, he would come in and out of the classroom maybe... Fifty times over the course of a class, he would sit with his back to me. He would talk during okay. class. Okay, I, you know, right. I was like, this is creating a big problem for my class, right? But well, um, we it, haven't
1: drawn a line about how many times you're allowed to walk in and out of the class, so we we didn't draw a rule based on that disruption.
0: It can be it's ex- hard to draw that. Line. It can be extremely hard to say what what counts as plagiarism or not. Um, there's there's a, there's yeah. a, there's a very fine lines about sort of. Um, copying, copying wording, how much do you copy? What if you have other stuff in there? Is it totally plagiarized? Like There's definitely cases where it's much easier for me to recognize the bad behavior than it is for me to recognize something so, as plagiarist.
1: I mean, if I stand back and just look at academia in all its glory and, and misery and I say, like, what's wrong with this thing and, like, what should be better? <laughs> this just doesn't seem to, to meet near anywhere near the top of the things that I could see wrong. This seems like you know, picking a complaint about a certain way people talk about placement, you don't object to the rule itself because you don't have another one to replace it with you. You're not so sure you want to take it away, even, even just to swatch it. You just like dislike how much reverence people are giving to it. Yeah. And you know, I would say, well, you know, come up with something else that we should give reverence, more reverence to, or a bigger change, and that seems much more productive. And, you know, I have some suggestions like that, and you may too, but I mean, wouldn't it be more productive to just ask, what are the biggest things that are wrong with academia?
0: I think that anything that helps you understand things better is productive. And I'm not like you're always looking for like the most leverage or something yeah. of the given thing. But I'm not always doing that. And 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 I think the reason I'm not doing it is that quite often the leverage comes in a place that is unexpected for me. And so I can start thinking about something, and then I get leverage yeah. that I didn't expect. So, um, but the thing that you're supposed to get out of thinking about this is that if we have kind of wrongly um, centralized a particular value, we're over punishing it, we're over coordinating on this, like we're, we're acting like this is what binds us together, um, that is both encouraging us not to notice the more fundamental things we bind us together. And in fact, this particular sort of value and this idea of credit is one, that makes it hard to get what our most fundamental but values into like view.
1: You're talking about it here is doing the distraction. That is, I think most academics don't think much about plagiarism exactly because they share it, so it seems so obvious to them. So it doesn't actually distract them much. Uh, and now we're talking about it now. We'll be making them think more about plagiarism than they ever did in the last ten years because they don't think about it much.
0: No, I don't think it's bad to think about. It. I think it's bad to unthinkingly see it
1: as a profound but sin. But you've made me think about it a bit more, and at the moment I go, you know, I like our <laughs> players a little bit. They seem fine to me. I don't see the problem with them. Well, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> have talked about it with you
0: then. <laughs> um. I mean, I can
1: point to other things I think are bigger things to think about. Like so, Most fundamentally, the fundamental mechanism we have in academia is we credential some people as good, and then we yes. ask them to choose who the other good people. That is that the most fundamental mechanism of is it's peer review of various sorts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the core mechanism in academia. That's how we decide who gets what jobs, who gets what grants, who gets what um, you know, journal publications, etc.
0: I, I think the core mechanism of academia is teaching, because that's how people learn stuff. And what we're about is you now
1: Okay, but I mean a mechanism by which when people compete, we decide who wins.
0: What I'm saying is that's a bad framework for thinking about like the intellectual realm in general and it's exactly that kind of framework that centralizing plagiarism um well, sort of suggests
1: so i mean i would say the larger question is we have these goals we want to achieve and we have say a budget either the nsf or something and we have to decide how to allocate this budget in order to achieve our goals that would be the economic framing of the question and we have not just money budget we have prestige budgets of various of to hang out and uh, you know, many different people at institutions say, if you give the money to us or the prestige to us, we will do this teaching or we will do this research or we will do this crediting and credentially. And the fundamental question is, who do we believe? Who, who do we trust? Uh, we can't just, do we do it at random? And so I would say, the fundamental mechanism by which we answer this question, who do we give the resources to, to achieve these ends that we want to achieve, is this peer-review mechanism. That is, we, we find the people who have, been by consensus considered the most prestigious or the most knowledgeable, et cetera, on their topic. And we say, who do you think the money should go to? Who do you think the job should go to? Or how do you think students should be taught? Uh, All of these different key questions about what exactly to do are answered fundamentally by asking the most prestigious people what do they think, and then we just do what they say. That's pretty much how the whole thing goes. And so once you even say this out loud, I think it should be obvious the kind of things that could go wrong with a system like this. And I think that's one of the most fundamental things to ask about academia: is does that go wrong? How often does it go wrong? Do we can we think of something better?
0: So, like one of the words that shows up a lot when you talk is like prestige and impress. Okay. And you said you know people are trying to affiliate with credential people, and impressive credentials and credential and reputation, right? And so all of those words are kind of like words that are, as um, se- I would say, secondary words, like. They're all words that it's like, there's the appearance of X, right? So being impressive is being able to appear as though you were X. Yes. Maybe knowledgeable, right? Mm-hmm. It depends yes. what you're impressive for. Okay. Right? So my thought is you have never reached the fundamental level of analysis about something if you're using any of those words.
1: So I disagree strongly in the sense that I'm saying, well, from the institution design point of view, from the person giving away money point of view, they will have to give away money on the basis of it. Appearances, because they will not see past appearances to fundamentals. So we have to design institutions in terms of appearances. That's a fundamental constraint on institution design.
0: I mean, you know, one one question then maybe is like, um, so like in this conversation, I don't believe we're designing an institution. That is, I, like, I mean, I suppose there's a small chance that some people who dis, you know decide things may listen to this podcast and then decide sure. to change other, but it's like that's very unlikely, right? So. Um, So, in a way, it's odd that you want to adopt the framework of doing X when we're not doing X. That is my framework, is we want to understand um, what is the university actually for, where it may be that adopting the institution design point of view doesn't actually answer that question very well. given that we're not designing an institution, why adopt that framework?
1: But, you know, I've said the institution is for all the different things we might want to achieve with it, and it's a practical question which of them we can achieve how much. And what trade off with the other goal. So, I don't think there is a fundamental question what the institution is for. Institutions are never for particular things. Uh, they might happen to more often achieve a particular thing, and people might more want them to achieve that particular thing, but fundamentally, they are for whatever we want them to be for. What is doctoring for? Well,
0: health. That's the answer. There's just an the answer. <laughs> and, and, and universities are for knowledge. So I guess I just think I have no idea what we're doing with these institutions. If right. we're like, we don't see them as having any goals. How are we even improving them? We not don't even we, know what we're doing. But what we might improving. just
1: have a set of goals, all of which we would like to achieve with them. And one of them might be the biggest one. And that's fine to focus our attention on that. But it, it is not a choice we have.
0: Right. I mean, in a way for me, it's odd to even be like, what are we doing? It's like,
1: well, we are talking, right? And now, you know... Right. But you, you were taking the same frame with respect to plagiarism. You're, you're standing back and asking us to take a different attitude toward plagiarism, right? But I, I
0: guess I, 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 I'm not. Say, I'm not saying that as from the point of view of like if I were a university administrator. I'm saying like as a professor who. That's why I brought up the question of in- within courses because I do assign papers for okay. courses, right? And so I have to think about the question: Am I going to allow my students to plagiarize the papers they write for me? Um, and, you know, like, I think, well, there are going to be educational harms if I do that, so I don't want to right. allow that. Um, and then I have to think, well, as a researcher whatever, shall I plagiarize other people's work? And then I think, no, there's this, this game that everyone's playing, and i got to play along, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking, from, from my point of view, as being in this system and my various right. goals, right, um, where does plagiarism fit? And um, I think even given all that conformity that I've just described, I think I ought to conform to the system, there's still like, a move to be made in terms of seeing that um, these, these, these norms are a bit hollow, a bit artificial, a bit conventional, and in fact, um, they kind of, um, especially when I unthinkingly follow them and unthinkingly you know, um, put them in a special category where students, for instance, get kicked out of school for violating them, what that does is incline me to become not attuned to the most fundamental and most important and most expensive to maintain one's attention on goals of the university.
1: But surely, what we want is for many people to change the perspective, not just me in particular or you in particular.
0: Well, people are listening to us. Well, so hopefully, maybe those people right. will change their mind. But
1: but I mean, surely, you want to make
0: them change their minds no, no, through an institution?
1: I, I want you to accept the idea that when we think about our social practices and our institutions and our norms, that uh, we are going to do both diagnosis and prognosis. And uh, when we do diagnosis, we are not going to be very sure which particular prognosis exactly would be invoked for any one diagnosis. First, we want to just structure the situation and find the main things going on and, to you know, categorize things correctly and identify the core processes. and But we want to do that with, with an eye toward identifying problems because uh, that's why we have prognosis. Prognosis would be to figure out how to solve the problems and if there are no problems to solve, maybe there's no point to thinking about it. Uh, so, but solutions come in a wide range of difficulty. Some solutions can be implemented by any one person all by themselves nobody else. They don't even need to consult their spouse or their department chair. Other solutions might require a whole department to coordinate together. Still other solutions might require a whole profession or journal together, or a university. Some might require a nation of the world to coordinate. And of course, once we understand that some require larger coordination, all else equal, we will be less interested in those. Nevertheless, if they have bigger potential gains, we might eye them and still think maybe we'll go for that. And So fundamentally, we just have to enter the this process you know, looking for diagnoses that would lend themselves to prognosis and then when we have a clear enough diagnosis, we then start to consider specific solutions that might be offered and then we will prefer the solutions that are easier to implement, of course, but, but we will also want to just think about solutions that are testable or easy to test. So we might come up with a solution that uh, would require a widespread adoption but could be tested on a small scale. It wouldn't be have its full effect on a small scale but it could be shown to work on a small scale then you might go to the larger community and say how about we all do this like we we tried to have an academic community where there was no credit and this is how it went and now maybe the rest of you should realize you don't need credit as much as you thought because hey it seemed to work here uh and you know that's the sort of thing you can consider so uh i would just suggest that we you just enter the diagnosis phase (laughs) in an open-minded sense of, like, we're not sure what kinds of fixes we're going to plan on suggesting. And sometimes we may decide that none of the small-scale fixes seem feasible. Uh, effective. and the only thing that will work will be larger-scale coordination, and at that point you could decide to, to dump it because it's not worth continuing, or you might decide this is important enough that you would then start to explore the larger-scale solutions.
0: So, your basic mindset and your basic framing of the situation is, like, problem-solving. Yes. And I'm not um, antipathetic to that, um, but I don't think it's the only thing one can do with speech. Um, And I'm not always sure that it's the thing that makes the most sense to do um, in um, inquisitive conversations. But I don't want to deny that it's a thing you can do and it's a valuable thing you can do. So maybe it's a little bit like your multiple goals thing. Like, you, you say you want me to accept a whole bunch of stuff. and Just now, you're like, I should accept all this stuff. And I want to say, well, I am maybe willing to sort of accept it if I can also accept some other stuff. Um, um, it's not always clear to me that the biggest, most fundamental, and most important social changes are going to happen in the kind of top-down way where the institution is going to get redesigned, right? Maybe sometimes, but like that's itself a question. True. Um, but we should stop now. Um, but just as a last word, can I have a last word?
1: Just one word? No. No. The okay. last sentence. Okay, last sentence. Okay,
0: the last <laughs> sentence is I want to give a shout out to Brian Fry, from whom I plagiarized all of my views about plagiarism. Ta da.